The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Thank you guys so much for leading us. Um, Church, I hope that you're doing well this morning. Um, As we get started this this morning, there are times, and I'm sure that you have seen this, there are many times when a verse or a passage of scripture kind of gets lifted out of context just a little bit. Um, It'll get quoted, maybe put on a coffee mug. It'll be really familiar to you. Um, and, And we give kind of little attention to where it actually came from. Uh, And what happens, if we're not careful, is our biblical understanding can just be kind of this incoherent string of biblical catch phrases, right? And and you see it it kind of everywhere. And, And most of the time, please, it's not done intentionally. It's not done maliciously. Uh, Maybe this has happened to you, though, where you have a a verse uh, that you you have on your mug or a shirt, and and you're in your you're you're reading, and all of a sudden in your Bible you come to the verse, and and you've seen it heard, you've seen the bumper sticker, but when you read the verse in its context, you scratch your head and you're like, wait a second, that's that's what's going on here, like. That's what this was talking about, or that's the content, that's who this was talking about. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Um, but all of a sudden, that really familiar verse kind of takes on a new light as it finds its place in context. So, to get your wheel spinning in this direction just a little bit, I thought of two examples. Uh, first, Philippians 4:13. I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. That is, that is awesome. I think we've all had a shirt that said that at some point. Um, and we quote this like before the job interview, which is awesome. And it kind of, it's like the motivational passage of our Bible. But did you know that in context, Paul is dealing, he's referring to endurance, enduring suffering, enduring loss, it, it, the previous verse is, I have learned to be content with much and with little. It's this call that no matter what you, where you find yourself, no matter what trial you find yourself, you can do all things because Christ is enough. Like all of a sudden that verse is more powerful when it's placed back. Let me give you another example. Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. In the midst, amen and amen. But did you know that that's not referring to a worship service or a prayer service? I've heard this this text most often quoted by pastors who are disappointed with the turnout. Like, (laughs) two or three are gathered, amen. In context, though, Jesus is specifically referring to how the church should deal with sin, When a brother or a sister sins against you, how should the church handle that in a way that brings restoration between people, in a way that honors the Lord and showcases Christ? That's what's on it. Context changes everything. It changes everything. Um, These were just 
a few quick ones. I could have listed a lot more. I could have listed a lot more. But here's the reality. One of the greatest tasks that you and I have as, as followers of Jesus who want to understand God's word, one of the greatest tasks that we have to develop our biblical understanding, our biblical literacy, is to take verses we hear and to have the ability to take them and put them back in their context, to see how they fit, to see how they fit in the chapter, in the book. Better yet, how does it fit into the Bible as a whole? And here's what I want to commit myself to here at Stone Oak Bible. Um, As your pastor, I want to look you in the eye and tell you that that task is not mine alone, that that task is yours, that you have all that you need to approach God's word, to read it, to understand it, to apply it, and this is your task. My goal here at Stone Oak Bible is to hand you a Bible and to say, let's get to work together. Like, that's, that is it. Now, will it take work? Yes. Absolutely. Um, is it easier to quote catchphrases? Yes. Um, is it easier to have a pastor tell you the deeper meanings? Yes. It is. But is this work worth it? Do you have the Spirit of God indwelling you? Do you have access, church, let's just be honest, to incredible tools to help you as you journey through here? Our hope and our prayer here at Stone Oak Bible Church is that we would be able to draw near to Christ and that we would all grow in our ability to be equipped to be students of God's word. So this morning, having said all that, our text is an absolutely incredible text, but it can be one of those texts. This can be one of those texts that we may have heard before. We might have seen this. We might have heard this quoted. But this might be a text that we have never done the work to put it back into its, into its context. A text that might be familiar, but a text that we might need to zoom out to see how it fits. So I'm excited to dig into this. And because of this, I want to lay some groundwork Um, from what Paul has been doing up to this point. Refresh our memories here. So over the past several verses, Paul has been laying out uh, for us something that we called gospel primacy and gospel joy. Gospel primacy and gospel joy. I encourage you, if you you haven't been able to to listen in, to take a moment to listen in, as Paul kind of is building and building. But to put this really simply, simply, God has called each of us to reach our world with the gospel. God has called us to do this. If you're here and if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your call. This is your charge. In the same way that Christ came, gave himself, humbled himself for you, so are we to follow his lead, to give ourselves, to humble ourselves, to give up our rights for others, that, may, that others may know the wonder and the joy of fullness of Christ and what he has done. So Paul says in verse 12, getting us kind of ready for where we are here, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. There is no worthy obstacle for the gospel. In other words, our lost world might be offended by the cross. 
of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us that apart from the Spirit working, they will be offended by the gospel message. That being said, Paul urges us to do everything that we can not to add more offense, more stumbling blocks, more obstacles so that they might hear the gospel. Gospel primacy is that we would hold the gospel to be of first and foremost importance. And Paul calls us to this. And that leads us then into gospel joy. Gospel joy in verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I I may share with them in its blessings. There is a joy in knowing Christ in church. There is a joy in seeing others come to know him. This is gospel joy. And now from this, let's pick up in our text this morning in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners run? But only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Now, just, I'm going to come clean here. I love this analogy. I'm a runner, and I love it. I just, this is awesome, right? Paul turns our attention to an analogy of a race. Uh, He says, do you not know that all runners run? So what race is Paul referring to here? What's the race? Is this... Race, a reference to the Christian life in general? Is this a reference to your walk with the Lord? Well, no, not exactly. In the context here, from context here, Paul here is not referring to the Christian life in general. He's not referring to, to, to any of those, like your Christian walk. What he is referring to specifically is your call to share the gospel. That is the race. Our life's gospel witness is the race. Here, Paul likens our proclamation of the gospel as a race. And having said that, notice what he says. All run this race. I want that just to sink down. Have you ever uh, been to a race? Have you ever been in a race? Um, In almost every race, there are spectators. I love spectators. They they line the sides of the race. They're just there to pump you up. They have signs. They're cheering. They're clapping. They're uh, handing you bananas, like all of the things that you love. And some of these signs are hilarious. Like, I love it. I love it. Um, They're not a part of that race, right? They're not wearing the bib. They're not. They're there as spectators for the race that is happening right? Um, Now, as great as spectators are, you are not one of them. You are not one of them. Your charge is is to proclaim the gospel to our lost world. You are called to run this race, not to watch this race ran by others. You are called to run this. It reminds me of Hebrews 12. I'm just going to read the first line of it because we're coming back to it. But Hebrews 12, you don't have to turn with me here yet, says, talking about this race, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, pause, we'll come back, in context here, who are these witnesses? Who are these spectators? These witnesses are the brothers and sisters who have gone before us, whose race is over. In this context, 
They are here to now stand on the sides of our race, clap us on, hold up the signs and say, go, you can keep going. You can keep going. There are spectators. They're there and they're there to hand you that banana when you're cramping. Please don't go too far theologically with that analogy. It will get weird. Um, There are spectators. There are witnesses. But church, you're, again, you're not one of them. Paul says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? So let us run. Let us run. You might be here saying, I'm not a runner. Physically, that might be true. Theologically, yes, you are. Yes, you are. The question is whether or not, is not whether or not you are a runner. The question is whether or not you will be obedient to the call that God has placed in your life to run the race that he has set before you. That is the call. Um, Before we move forward, uh, I noticed something last week. So Candace and I put our little boys in a healthy kids racing running series thing. It's five weeks. It's awesome. You take your kids and they run these races and it's just a fun run. And at the end, if they do all five, like they get awarded with like a medal and it's, it's, it's great. Um, some of these kids I have noticed have just been blessed with some natural ability. I mean, like crazy gifted runners. And I've also noticed that there are some of these kids who take this very seriously. As do their parents, by the way. I don't know if there's a combination there. They come with the gear. If they had a phone, it would have like Eye of the Tiger cranking. I mean, their game face on, right? Um, But they line up on the starting line next to these other kids who are like counting butterflies and like loving life and wearing like a pink skirt and just loving it. And, and they line up together. And you know the crazy thing that happens is when the whistle blows, they're counting butterflies and like, oh, oh. And then they start going and they have this stride like an African gazelle. And these, this, the kids that are taking it really seriously are, they have that grunt face on, and, and these other kids are just dominating, and they have a smile on, and they're like looking back, talking, hey mom, like running as they do it. It is wild, and that is first grade that you see this, and, and I, want, I want to be honest. This is why I share this. This is a bit true for us in our race, in the race that's been set before us. You see that some of us in our race to share the gospel have just been given a natural stride, a natural gazelle-like stride that they have been blessed with supernaturally. I don't say this lightly, by God. Like we're about to get in this book, just a few chapters here to the right, about spiritual gifts. And they are just gifted. Like they can walk into a room and say, who here needs to repent? Let me tell you about Jesus. Come on. And it, it, like, seriously. And I look at this and I'm like, I want that. But here's the honest truth that's not me. I really have some gift envy. We'll talk about that later. But I see this and I'm like, man, I wish that I was like that. And maybe you're here and you're like me. You just wish you just had that 
But let me be honest, I'm more like the kids who have Eye of the Tiger cranking. And I have to train for this when I'm talking about my race that's set before me. I have to train and, and, and I have to be all in at that starting line. All of us are runners. Some of us are gazelles. Others are not. But we're runners nonetheless. And we have a race that's been set before us. Paul says, um, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Now, Paul here is, is drawing from an analogy of, of the games, the Olympic games, the ancient Olympic games here. He's drawing this analogy. Um, running and training for the Olympic gold. Only in this day, it was not gold. They were given a, an Olympic victor's wreath that was put on their head, right? It was this kind of symbol of a crown. That was what they were, it was symbolizing their victory. And Paul is drawing from this and he says, runners, run so that you can obtain that prize, Run with that prize in your sight. So let's stop for a moment and let's ask, now what on earth is that prize? In the ancient games, it's easy. It's that wreath. But what is our prize for the race that's set before us? This is really important because I think some of us fail to run hard, fail to train hard, fail to put ourselves out there because we aren't quite sure what that prize might be and let's just be honest, we're not quite sure if that prize is worth it. Like, is it worth it? Now, as I said, um, I love running. And one thing I hear a lot from people who don't run is, why on earth do you torture yourself? Like, this is torture. It's terrible. I don't see why you do it. It's terrible. And I get it. Because many, 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 many times, a runner does not enjoy the run. Like, just, just doesn't. There's a lot of times the runner is stretched. That hill is too high. It's just too cold. It's too hot. It's too early. It's too late. I'm too tired. If you think for a minute that an Olympic runner has enjoyed every training session, you are crazy. You are. That, that's just crazy. Not every run is this magical experience, but in all of those moments, those moments of, of struggle, a runner is not running for that moment. A runner is running that he may obtain the goal. A runner is running with something else set before him. And when there's a clear picture of that goal, and that goal is worth it, then that goal has a way of propelling through those hard, early, late, hot training sessions. In other words, without a goal, running is a bit like just aimless struggle. It is. It's just aimless struggle. But with a goal in mind, running is continual progress. It's continual progress. So church, as followers of, of Christ, in the race that we've been giving, given, um, in this race to be a gospel witness, right? What is the prize? What is the prize and do we believe it is worth it? So Paul speaking to this says, if you look at verse 23, I know I'm cheating because that was the verse before, but that's all right. Verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel 
that I may share with them in its blessings. So why, church, does Paul do it? Why? What is the price that is, is fixed in Paul's eyes that makes the pain, the struggle, the rejection, the persecution, all of it, what is the thing that makes it worth it? The prize here is Christ. The prize is the joy of the gospel, that gospel joy. That is the prize, the prize of sharing the gospel with others, the joy of knowing the gospel and making the gospel known. That is the prize. And so some of you might be here and think, Wait a second, wait a second. This says only one receives it. What's going on there? Like, only one of us gets Jesus? Like, what is, what is that? Only one, hear me, no. Paul is using this analogy to express the mindset, the necessary mindset of an athlete, of a runner. He, he is saying there is a wreath, there is a prize at the end of this struggle, and the runner runs hard in order that he may obtain it. To bring this analogy to kind of to bear on our lives, Paul is not saying that there is only one of us that's going to receive Jesus. Paul is not saying that the rest of us are losers. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is expressing the mindset that we need to have as a follower of Christ, that there is a prize, there is a gospel, and there is joy found in that gospel. This analogy, this, this, and the, the idea that only one receives the prize, is an analogy that is meant to show us the mindset that we are to have as we approach our race. That, that we run hard, we press hard with that determination of an Olympic runner. We press hard for the goal that is set right before us. Now, I told you we'd come back to Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews 12. You can flip there if you want. If not, I'll read it to you. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, I believe that there is a problem that we face. And the reason that, that, that we see our race as being too hard, too long, is because we fail to see the prize and we fail to understand that the prize makes all of this worth it. There is no greater prize than the joy found in Jesus Christ. And when we get that, it changes everything. And I want to push further into this. And let's continue in our text in 1 Corinthians. It says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith. Now, as we shift forward, let's pick it up in verse 25. As you flip back there. We are all runners. We have all been given this race that is set before us. He is our prize. Now listen to Paul. Every athlete, verse 25, exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Church, um, no athlete 
no matter the natural-born talent that that athlete possesses, will succeed without rigorous training. None. Uh, as we already said, there are some that have that natural-born gifting, right? That, that will take you only so far. But success as an athlete is not going to happen without training. You're not going to accidentally stumble your way into an Olympic gold medal. I don't care how gifted you are. That, that is not going to happen. That is a accumulation of, of discipline, of, of, of time in, of, um, of so much energy and sacrifice that comes there to make that possible. Um, we are always amazed when we see a basketball player who just can dial in that jump shot. We are just, we, we get blown away. But no matter how gifted they are, that came from training and repetition. Steph Curry, for example, does not do what he does without this. This, he is a result of, yes, a natural inclination and gifting, but a lot of time in. Let me think about this. Um, can you imagine the collective hours that it took for the 2009 Super Bowl champions to win it all? Can you just imagine? I mean, think of everything that went through that. I mean, that's the height of sporting accomplishment, right? The height, I mean, at the top of their game. Imagine how much time and energy it took collectively for them to get to that level, to arrive there. But you know what? I couldn't remember who won. I, I, I couldn't. Some of you might remember. Um, others of you are on your phone right now. But the vast majority of us have forgotten. And just to ease your, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers over the Cardinals. I forgot that even happened, right? But, so now you don't have to look at your phone, but all of that, Paul says, all of that, that training, that discipline, that pain, that energy, that struggle that took to get to that point, all of the money, might I add, to get to that point, all of it was to receive a perishable crown, temporary, something that will fade, just like the glory of the 2009 Super Bowl, it will fade. In comparison, church, our race, the race that we have set before us to share the gospel with a lost and dying world, that prize is not temporary. It will not fade. You can give yourself to this because this is eternal gospel. Joy does not fade because the gospel itself does not fade. These souls are eternal. Christ is eternal. And too often, I believe we're too willing to give ourselves, to sacrifice ourselves for things that are temporal and far too unwilling to give ourselves for that which is eternal. How much would we sacrifice for the things that are going to fade? Paul says, every athlete exercises self-control in, in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And because this is true, listen to what he says in verse 26. So, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. For an athlete, every run is purposeful. Every workout is purposeful. They serve the bigger purpose. In the same way, every opportunity in your life is purposeful. Every moment is purposeful. Every 
time you get to share the gospel, it is worth it. Every struggle is worth it. Every trial is worth it. Every gospel conversation is is worth it. Paul says, I do not run this race aimlessly. Instead, Christ is my prize. And then listen to verse 27. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, I want us to spend some time with this. Um, That word disqualified here is a word that means not able to withstand the test. It's a word that means to be shown unqualified. It's a word that means counterfeit. That's what this this word means. Now, in a race, there are many things that will disqualify a runner. Uh, You have the dreaded DNS, did not start. That's when you signed up for the race, but you never made it to the start line. That's sad. You got an injury or something, just something kept you from starting. That's a DNS. That's a disqualification. I think of that's bad, but not as bad as a DNF. DNF is did not finish. That means that you started the race and threw it in. Said, nope, can't finish this. And somewhere along that, that you're over here on the side and you didn't, you didn't finish. And that's terrible. That is just awful. That one's tough. Then there's the standard DQ. A DQ, disqualification, is, is awarded <laughs> to the runner who breaks the rules, who cheats, who cuts corners, who um, you know, grabs a bike, a bicycle, middle of the, the run. It's like, I'll just use this for the middle 17 miles, right? That's, that's a DQ. That means that all the work, all the training, all of it done because a DQ eliminates any possibility for earning a prize. Um, a few months ago, I had to share this. There was a huge marathon uh, in Mexico City, the Mexico City Marathon. You might have heard something about this, but um, go ahead and show this picture. There are 29,000 runners. Like, that's just, that's awesome. Like, 29,000 runners that started, that crossed the start line. You you are not going to believe this. 5,000 of them, 5,800, so almost 6,000 of them, would later be disqualified for cheating. Take that in. You're looking at cheaters up there, right? (laughs) So here's what happened. Roughly every three miles or so, there'd be a mat on the ground that would clock the runners and make sure they're on the track and it would keep their times. So they, they found that 36% of the field missed at least one of them. They were like, that has to be a mistake. Like, surely that has to be a mistake. So they did some research, and the officials kind of did some research, and, and shortly after the race, photos started coming out of runners cutting the course. Get this, I can't make this stuff up. Literally, herds of them were getting on the subway. <laughs> How incredible is that? There's cameras anyway, um, (laughs) to quicken their time. It's just wild. All of those runners disqualified. None of them were given an achievement, a medal. Instead, they were given the term, the label, disqualified. Uh, To make this more real, the first place finisher finished his marathon in three hours and nine minutes, which is pretty quick. Um, Only one problem. The last mile and a half took him 45 minutes. 
You're like, how did the dude like sprint that thing and then crawl? Kind of. What he did is he got on a bus, got off about a mile and a half left, took his time to cross the finish line. So he literally walked it anyway, walked it in. You can run a pretty quick marathon when you take a train, but all of it was stripped away. Every reward was stripped away. And Paul says, look, I focus on my life. I discipline myself so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Not able to withstand the test. To be shown unqualified. To be proven a counterfeit. So, how, church, can we be disqualified? What would lead Paul to disqualification? I want to show you uh, some really cool gear. So I told you I'm a runner, so you have to bear with me. Um, so check this out. It, you know, it starts with your feet. You got to have good shoes. So these are awesome. Ultra shoes, zero drop. They're, they're light, comfortable, but it's not just the shoes. You need good socks. You don't want like like cotton sock. Don't even get me started on that. You need good stuff, right? It's your feet. So then it also matters what you wear. See, again, you don't want cotton. So this is like dry fit. Awesome. Wicks away that moisture. So good. Same with the shorts. And then if it gets cold or wet, this is a waterproof like jacket. Uh, You need one of those. It's like really, really helpful. Then um, a hat, a good hat, right? Keeps the sun out of your eyes. It keeps the sweat out of your eyes. It's awesome. And then speaking of eyes, good glasses. You want to protect those. Uh, let's see here. Ah, this is, this is good. This is good. A road ID. If you get hit by a deer, they want to... <laughs> That's almost happened to me. This will identify you, right? That's important. Safety. Uh, speaking of deer, headlamp. If you're running at night, you want to have that. Uh, some of you, you know, like to run to music, so this little stretchy, it's not a fanny pack, don't judge, but it holds your phone, it's awesome, uh, and if you take your phone, which, you know, you gotta have good playlist and headphones that, by the way, stay in your ear, that's really important, you don't want them falling out, um, and, and on top of that, hydration, like, you need that, you need, and this one has a handle, Right? It's really important. And Gatorade, that's for, that's for losers. You have this, <laughs> right? This is fuel. It's awesome. But the crown jewel, oh, good running watch. So mileage, pace, elevation, heart rate, VO2 max. I mean, this is, oh, that's awesome. Do you know what all this stuff makes you? <laughs> all of this stuff... Thank you. Makes you crazy. All of this stuff makes you a guy with a lot of gear. None of this makes you a runner. None of it. You know what makes you a runner? Running. Running. And in the hands of a runner, oh, this is good. This is good. None of this makes you a runner. And I couldn't help but think about our our life as, as in our race as believers. We have the right lingo, the right biblical knowledge, the right opportunities, the right conversations, the right way to phrase things. We got it. We have all the right gear. But you know what that makes you? A guy with the right lingo. The right lingo. 
That's what that makes you. You know what makes you a runner? Running. Running. Now, in the hands of a runner, the right lingo is really incredible. In the hands of a runner, biblical knowledge is incredible. None of that makes you a runner. None of that makes us a runner. Paul says, I don't want to be shown as being counterfeit. In other words, I don't want to be the guy rocking all of this gear, walking up to my race, not having put a, an ounce of energy in training or running, looking the part, and being shown a counterfeit. I don't want us to be a people who know all the right things, who know all the right lingo, who know all the right biblical knowledge, the right theology, who don't actually run their race, who don't actually proclaim the gospel in their lives. In all of our deep understanding and knowledge of Scripture, what has it produced? Are we, are we obedient in the simple things to make disciples and to proclaim his gospel to a lost world. What has all of the biblical knowledge done? Where has it led us? Is it driving you to make disciples? Is it driving you to share the gospel? Or are we collecting really good gear? Are we gear collectors? Or, or, or are we taking this and putting it to use? Are we running our race Living our lives as a grand gospel presentation. If I think of that word counterfeit, it just rings with me. It, rings with, it just rings in my head. Paul says, I refuse to be that person. Instead, I run my race and I call you to do the same. And I want to be really honest. It would be a lot easier for us as Christians to stay in our Christian cul-de-sacs to just stay in our bubbles, our safety zones, instead of stepping out. But just as a, an athlete doesn't kind of accidentally stumble into greatness, but just as an athlete needs discipline, intentionality, commitment, church, we cannot expect to witness the gospel well without being intentional, without disciplining ourselves to go, without the commitment and the effort, the sacrifice. And I want to drive this a little deeper um, athletes have every right, every right. They are free not to put in the work. They are free to binge watch some Netflix and to eat some pie. <laughs> they are free. They could do that. But an, an athlete is literally free to do all of that. But a true athlete does not. Why? Because there's something of more value than that freedom. There's something of more value. In the same way, church, technically you, Christian, are free to do this, to live this life on your own terms. You are free to ignore the deeper conversations with your neighbor, neighbor in exchange for surface level, less chancy conversations with them. You are free. You are free to do that. You are free to choose to live your life for yourself. You are free to ignore the command of God to share the gospel. You are free. You are free to board yourself up in Christian bubbles. You are free not to engage the hurting world around you with the gospel. Just as that athlete is free, so are you. 
I mean, your salvation doesn't rest on your obedience. Like, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, so hand me the Cheetos. Right? You're free. You're free. But church, oh, that we would be a people whose hearts are so gripped by the gospel. Oh, that we would be a people that we just hear that and we go, nope, I can't do that. I literally cannot do that because it would, it would go against my very identity in Christ to do that. There is a prize that is worth more. There is a prize that is worth giving my rights up, curbing my freedom. We would be a people whose hearts are so radically gripped by the gospel. The prize is so fixed in our eyes that there is no freedom or right that is worth more than our witness for the gospel. Church, I want to be that kind of people. I want to be that kind of people. I want to read to you a quote. Um, I read this this week. If a Christian is unwilling to discipline themselves for the sake of the gospel, then something has gone terribly wrong. It means that something that might have looked like love is really just a thinly coated veneer. Something has gone deeply wrong. It means that someone who looked like a runner, who was rocking the shirt and the shorts and the post-workout stretches, right? Rocking all of that has been shown to be a counterfeit. So here's what we, we do, church. Number one, I want you to realize you are a runner. You are a runner. Do you not know that in a race, all, all, all runners run? You are a runner. Number two, there is a race. There is a race that has been set before you, and you've been called to proclaim the gospel that has changed you. You've been called to proclaim that to a lost and dying world. This is your race. Number three, church, there is a prize. Jesus Christ, the joy of knowing him and the joy of making him known is our, inter- is our eternal prize. Now, I want us to leave with this. There is only one command, only one imperative in this entire text. There's only one thing that Paul says, hey, do this. There's only one. And I want us to finish our time in God's word by God kind of giving you this imperative. Okay? So, Follow with me. You ready? Say yes. Okay. You are a runner. Amen? Keep it strong. There is a race. Amen? There is a prize. Amen? And now God's word says this. So run that you may obtain it. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have saved me. I thank you as I look out and, and I'm a part of this church family that you have brought a people to yourself, that you are the God of love and you have made a way for us to know you and to experience that gospel joy of knowing you. I thank you for that. But God, you didn't give us that to be hoarders. Instead, you graciously made us runners, and then you graciously put a race in front of us to bring you glory. And I pray that for every person in this room that you start to to just 
bring to their mind ways that they can step in to this grand mission. Whether it be a a spiritual couch to 5K program, whatever it takes to get started, to have one conversation. I pray that you, that this would not be driven by guilt, but that this would be driven by the goodness of your gospel. That you have called us, that you have set us apart to be about your work. And God, I pray that collectively, as I look in this room, that you would make yourself known through us. I pray very specifically that you make yourself known through us this week. God, would you give us opportunities to proclaim your gospel and to experience gospel joy. I thank you for what you're doing in us, and I, and I thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing in others. In Jesus' name, amen.